You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple, that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? This is the disciple who's testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. We're going to pray and then you can be seated while we do our study. Father, we so need these words this day. We need every bit of your word, and yet in, in your own eternal plan, you've ordained that this congregation on this day would be studying this text. So we're here by divine appointment. still want to do more than come away from here better understanding a, a text, even though that's vital for us, but we need to know what you want us to do with it. Show us Jesus, as we have prayed so many times, show us your glory, even in the difficulties that are going to come this week, even when we see our own failures. Turn us to you, the God of grace. <coughs> Convict us of our sins. Change us with this gospel we believe in your son's name. Please be seated. Jesus and Peter had a conversation at the Last Supper in which Peter boasted of a commitment to Jesus that Jesus knew was not strong enough to endure a crisis. Even if everybody denies you, I won't. I won't. I'll die for you, Jesus. And the Lord warned Peter of an impending attack. Peter insisted he was prepared. I can do this. I, I can handle it. Here's the counsel that the Lord gave to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord... With you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Do you connect with Peter 
conscientious believer who looks at performance, it's, it's really easy, isn't it, to look spiritual in, in a small group setting or in a church setting when you're with some of your Christian friends. It's, it's easy to look the strong one. But I am guessing those of you who follow Christ also realize that many times that strength that you profess disappears when Jesus isn't near or when it seems he isn't near or when it seems that no one is looking. And so I am guessing in this room, I, I, I know there are a lot of believers who, like me, have seen failure. And maybe many, many times, failure. I know, having worked with a lot of people through the years, that sometimes it gets to the place where it's like, why even bother? I keep going back to do the same thing again and again and again. You have good company here. Peter was someone who was very bold when Jesus was near, but even after the Spirit came, I, I know that there was a dramatic transformation on Pentecost, and Peter boldly preached the gospel, and 3,000 people uh, professed faith in Christ. What a wonderful revival that was. Peter stood boldly when a few days earlier, a few weeks earlier, he had, he had cowered in fear. But the New Testament doesn't hide from us the sins of God's most effective servants. And Peter, later on, needed to be rebuked by the Apostle Paul because he was being a hypocrite again. You and I have the capacity to do shameful things. And the question is, what do we do? It's, it's pretty common for us to pretend we didn't do them, to say, that, that, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. That's, I'm a better person than that. But in the quietness of those times when your conscience is screaming loudly, you realize that that was you. That was your heart. That was the real you coming out. And, and for a believer, remember the Lord Jesus is talking about the faith of Peter as he warned him. It wasn't that Peter's faith had, in Jesus had completely disappeared, that there was no commitment to him. It's just that it hadn't risen to the level that it ought to have been. Have you been there? What do you do when you failed again and again and again? We're going to go over this text, but I will tell you that this beach encounter reminded Peter of two things. And this is, this is a good lesson for all of us. Peter, you do not love me as much as you could love me. So put your name in there. The Lord Jesus is, is confronting Peter in his failure the same way he would confront all of us. The same way he confronted the church at Ephesus. You've left your first love. You don't love Jesus as much as you could love him. And, and the second one is this. The Lord Jesus effectively said to Peter, I'm still going to use you. Even though your love hasn't measured up, I'm still going to use you. I have a, a task for you. So you see the Lord Jesus saying, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, take care, of my, take care of my flock. You see Jesus saying more than once, follow me. He didn't write Peter off. There are some secondary applications because we tend to be really quick to claim the grace of that God gives it in forgiveness and very, very slow to give people a second chance. We write them off. I'm guessing there are people in your family or in this church or in the last church you went to who've, who've done some pretty disgusting things and, and maybe even directed at you. We are so quick to, to refuse to forgive or to become bitter or to just assume... No one changes. The Lord Jesus is giving us a lesson not only in allowing us to come back, but allowing us to have, have a to be a, a reflection of the grace that He gives to people. We could have called this this 
uh, message, the Lord of the Second Chance. There are so many places we could have gone in Scripture to look at those people who failed miserably. We could have spent a lot of time in Jonah today to see someone who failed miserably. And then you hear the word of the Lord came again to Jonah a second time saying, and here it is, Peter. Yes, he had been sifted by the devil. But he prayed for him. My wife and I were able to go to a, a pastor's and wife's retreat one year. Joseph Stoll III, uh, he used to be the president of Moody Bible Institute, he's now the president of Cornerstone University, handled this very text. And I, I very rarely go back to my old John file, but I'm getting ready to, to put this study away. And I was flipping through my old John file, and I found this quote from Joseph Stoll III. He said this, the way to love Jesus is to love what he loves. This is something that he's uncovering for Peter now in this text. So for those of you who've been here through this study, you know what is happening. Uh, for the rest of you, I'll tell you, the Lord Jesus appeared to a number of the disciples in Jerusalem, but he had said ahead of time he was going to go back to Galilee in the north. He had given the commission, in fact, to go to Galilee. And so the disciples were obeying the Lord in being there. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. And this was the text that we covered last week. Peter went fishing. This wasn't just a, a, a Saturday morning fishing outing. This was, in fact, I'm guessing it probably wasn't a Saturday. But they're out working. And they had two boats, and they had the net. And, and there are seven disciples in those boats, and they fished all night long. This is not casual fishing. And this is where the Lord Jesus met them. And he had prepared a meal. He allowed them that morning at sunrise to catch 153 large fish. And as they're dragging them to shore, Jesus had a meal prepared for them. They're eating breakfast. And after sharing that meal with the disciples, we start into verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And so the Lord took time to nourish the bodies of the disciples before he turned to teaching. And I'll just, as an aside, say this sharing meals has always created relationships that are the platform for instruction. So when you look at the way God ordained fathers and mothers to train their children, uh, at all times, mealtime is one of those times. When, when church families share meals, when there, there are so many instances through the scriptures, uh, whether it's home or in the church, you read Acts chapter 2 and you see the congregation sharing meals together. That's a platform for relationship, and relationship is a platform for instruction. So Jesus shared a meal with his disciples. And then he went for a walk. <clears throat> when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I'm not sure if, if Jesus' choice of names is significant or not, but I'll just say the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures to the very word, and uh, he moved John to record this particular portion that the Lord Jesus didn't call Peter by his nickname, Little Rock. Petrus. He called him Simon, his given name. In fact, he even brought up Peter's father's name. Again, Peter was a nickname. Simon was a formal name. And then he invoked the name of Peter's father. And I, I don't know this for sure, but in, in simply making observations based on the context, this may have been calling Peter's attention back to the vocation his father had taught him. This was probably dad's business. That's the way Jewish families handled things. You taught your son your vocation, or the rabbi said you're teaching your son to be a thief. So Peter and his brother Andrew had learned fishing. James and John had learned from their father Zebedee fishing. That helps me <laughs> come to the conclusions I've come to about this text. But here is 
the question that we ought to ask if we're studying this closely. How do you identify the word these? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And there are three primary views that come out, and I'm just going to go over them. I, I, you know, I'm going to say mine's right. Right? But, I, but I'll tell you, I'll give you the, the other views. One of them is this. Jesus is saying, do you love me more than you love these other guys? These are your fishing buddies, your, your business partners, your, uh, these are the people you've spent so much time with these last three years. Do you love me more than these? I really don't think this fits the immediate context. I don't think this fits any other action between the Lord and Peter, so I won't spend any more time on that one. A more intriguing one, which is probably the most common view, and I, in, in hearing someone argue this persuasively, I actually listened to, a, uh, to a, a, another expositor arguing um, for this particular point of view. Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? And I'll tell you why this is interesting. <clears throat> it would take us back to the Last Supper, and we already talked about this, where Peter vigorously professed his loyalty. Though all may fall away because of you, I won't. And he's comparing his ability to endure to that of the other disciples. And, and this could be correct, and, and some, again, argue very persuasively for this point of view. But there's another one that, in my mind, seems to fit the context and some of the other interactions between Peter and Jesus. So for what it's worth. Do you love me more than you love these fish and, and all that goes with them? And I'll tell you why this one, to me, seems, seems to, to fit best. I think it goes back to Peter's vocational calling. He was a fisherman. He'd been trained as a fisherman. His whole life, we don't know how old he was at this point in time. We could presume that he's around Jesus' age. And so he's... 30-ish. This has been his life since he was a young man. And three years before, Jesus had called him away from fishing. And now the Lord, after the discouragements and the defeat, and after Peter feeling beaten around, if you've ever served the Lord in any capacity, whether it's vocationally, or as a Sunday school teacher or a leader in any capacity, you, you know what it is to be beaten around, to feel discouraged in ministry because things aren't going the way you thought they should. And maybe you're even disappointed in yourself and you're thinking, I, I, just, I don't know that I'm cut out for this. Which is why, if you look, it's not, it, it's not just a Wisconsin thing. Everywhere you go, there's such a turnover in ministry from leadership to, to all sorts of people in different roles. People tend not to stick with things. And Peter possibly is contemplating, what do I do? The Lord Jesus, remember, said, from now on you're going to catch men. And he went out and had no success. And then the Lord Jesus brings in 153 fish, which was a slam dunk. If you've been in, if you've been in the sales business, like I have, there's just sometimes when you're in the zone and and you you just can't lose. And you're you're seeing all of the all of the results, all of the measurements of what the world calls success. But Peter is standing on the shore realizing that by the best measurement of fishing success, he had absolutely nothing to do with. And Jesus prepares a meal and says, bring, bring some of your fish. Peter's thinking, perhaps, in my fish. You gave us those fish. So I'm bringing the fish that you gave me to share with, with you more fish that you gave me. Big success in his old vocation. But you know what? There could be no comparison. And the Lord is emphasizing Peter's new calling to follow him and to tend his sheep. So take it for what it's worth. We need to look at, at exactly the, the way the Lord is restoring Peter. And so 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know. And there are a lot, there's a lot of repetition here that, that you know or you know all things is coming out in this text. You know, you're, you're interacting with Jesus. Have you ever had one of those times where you've been hiding your sin? Or you're afraid to confess something to the Lord because it's too embarrassing? You really wouldn't want to put that in words because it makes you look bad? Just ponder that for a moment. The omniscient God. You stand before the omniscient God trying to hide anything. Peter knew this, and this is something that doesn't necessarily come out in English. We need to have a, a brief language lesson here, okay? Because it, it, it comes out, even though I'm not a huge fan of the, the NIV, which is why we use the New American Standard, the NIV has done something, if you have a, a, a 1984 or a 2011 New International Version, you'll notice that the Lord Jesus said, do you truly love me? And, and then the translation just says love for Peter. That's, that's the closest I've ever seen to a translation actually doing with this what an interpreter would do with this. Peter actually used a different word for love than Jesus did. And I know people call it a lower word. Phileo isn't a lower word necessarily. Uh, agape love, that's the noun. Agapao love, the, the verb. This action is used of self-sacrificing love. But phileo, like brotherly love, friendly love, fondness, it is used of the Father's love for the Son. So we can't just say this is, a, this is just a, a really weak word. But when you put them together, just learning the meaning of a word doesn't mean it always the mean, means the same thing in every context. I believe the Lord Jesus and Peter uh, in this conversation are using the words they used with great purpose. And so that's why I'm taking a little bit of time to call your attention to that. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me using Agapao, the, the self-sacrificing love, more than these, and Steve says, fish in italics. <clears throat> he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I am fond of you. I am, you are important to me. I think it's noteworthy um, that Peter used that word because when we get to verse 16, we're going to see the same, the same exchange between Jesus and Peter. But before we move on to verse 16, you notice what the Lord Jesus said. After Peter said, I really like you, I am really fond of you, he said to him, tend my lambs. And that word tend means to feed or, or to herd. Jesus had lambs to feed, and he chose Peter to be one of his under-shepherds. You're working for me, Peter. Do you love me more than these? Peter says, I'm really fond of you. And the Lord Jesus didn't skip a beat. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, take care of them, Peter. So verse 15. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Using Agapalo again. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I like you. You know that I am fond of you. So, once again, Jesus used his word. Peter responded with his word. And for the second time, Peter also said, you know. You know. When, you, when you've sinned that sin again, you've thought that thought again that was sinful, and you're coming before God, and you don't even want to name it again, but you can honestly say, Lord, you know. You know. You, you don't just know what I did. You don't just know what I thought. You know my motivations. You see right through me. 
This is the Lord who had seen to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee the first time they had this fishing thing with Jesus. And that's when Peter met Jesus and, and said, Depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. He sees. And so Peter said, You know that I'm fond of you, Lord. You know, the omniscience of Jesus really played into Peter's lukewarm confession here. But this wasn't a bad thing. We like, to, we like to put things in the good Sunday school answers, right? Lord, I love you more than anything. Peter knew how to give Sunday school answers. I'll die for you, Jesus. Even if everybody else denies you, I'll die for you, Jesus. He's not so quick to do that here. Because the Lord Jesus saw right through him. And you wonder at this point, because from a worldly perspective, this is the way we tend to look at things. So I failed again. And the Lord is saying, do you love me? Do you have a self-sacrificing love for me? Are you willing to die for me? And we want to say yes, but our heart is screaming out, liar! And that was Peter. I mean, he had, he had messed From a worldly perspective, we would expect the Lord Jesus to say, See? That's why you're fishing. But he didn't. Did he? Peter no longer had self-confidence to declare a loyalty that he was too weak to uphold. And yet the Lord Jesus still said, Shepherd my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. He didn't write him off. He invited him back into his service. But the relentless Lord didn't stop there. So he did it a third time. And I've heard sermons where Jesus is just trying to remind Peter so he doesn't forget how much he had failed. That's that other guy who is always reminding you of your failures. This is the Lord. He's inviting Peter back. The third time this repetition is not to hold Peter's sin in front of him, but to emphasize. It's like holy, 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 the Bible declares. He is thrice holy. This, this emphasizes something important. It is important for Peter to be able to answer this question. So John records, and I'm, I don't really know the setting here. We're not told all of it. We know they're on the beach. We know they've just had breakfast. And I always pictured this as Jesus and Peter walking down the beach, but it really doesn't say that. Uh, other than we get John at a distance before we get to the end. So how much were the other disciples eavesdropping on this conversation? I'm picturing Jesus and, and Peter at least a little ways away. But the words, Simon, son of John, do you like me? Jesus changed his word. He changed his word the third time. And it, it wasn't, again, a bad word. This is a word that's used of the Father's love for the Son. This is where we get our city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This, this is, uh, philos is, is not a, a wimpy word. It's just that it's not the same word that Jesus used. So it's Peter, Simon, do you, do you love me? Peter says, I like you. He says, do you love me? Peter says, I like you. And Jesus says, do you like me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Using, using Peter's word. And he said to him, Lord, you know. Here it is again. Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You, you saw where those fish were both times you gave us the big catch of fish. You saw my sinful heart back then. You see my sinful heart now. And you see my motives. And you see the level of my love. Lord, you know all things. You know that I, and I'll, I'll go back through this using the word like, even though it's insufficient, but just to prove, just to demonstrate 
what's going on. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you like me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you like me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. Peter's grief wasn't because the Lord was reminding him of his denials. His grief was because Jesus' vocabulary underscored how short Peter's love came. And so he lowered his word to Peter's level. And I say, well, Peter's, Peter's totally exposed here now. This, this is not the Lord shaming him. Please remember that. Look what he said next. Ten my sheep. Even if you haven't arrived, you've failed and you've come back to the Lord. And the Lord said, Satan, say there's going to be a satanic sifter in your life. I pray for you. And you're going to come back, Peter. And when you come back, what did he say? Strengthen the brothers. You're going to have a ministry even though you've been discouraged and you felt like quitting, I have a job for you, Peter. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman. It's a fine, fine vocation. Unless Jesus has called you to do something else. The high calling of vocational ministry is not because it's vocational ministry. The high calling of vocational ministry is because Jesus puts you there. The high calling of being a Sunday school teacher or, or a, a deacon or a church janitor or a VBS volunteer or whatever you are, the high calling is not because of the way you look doing it. It is, is because it's for the glory of the King of Kings and He is worth our very best effort. Even if every time we do it, our motivation isn't what it could be. Jesus says, Peter, a sheep to take care of. I know your heart. I know your love isn't where it should be. Take care of my sheep. There's a, a job to do. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to shepherd like Jesus called Peter to shepherd. But you do have to be faithful to the chief shepherd. Peter would later on write to pastors that shepherds must do their work willingly, motivated by the pleasure of the chief shepherd. Peter was an apostle, and yet he said, I'm one of you guys. So he wrote to a group of elders as in his general epistle, so this, this would have been read across the Roman Empire in Christian gatherings. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. The word elder, bishop, pastor, or shepherd, those all refer to, to the same office and in this general letter, he addressed several people in the church, but in this portion of the letter, he's talking to the pastors. And he said, I'm one of you guys. Your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Isn't, isn't he reflecting what Jesus called him to do? Take care of the sheep, Peter. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, by the way, that's, that's related to our word bishop. So he's got the word pastor and bishop and elder right in this tiny little section. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter's gone through his life. He's down probably toward the end of his life when he wrote 1 Peter, certainly 2 Peter, is about ready to move out of his tent. And he's carried all of these years with him the words of Jesus, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my little lambs. The Lord Jesus then said, truly, truly, here's the last verily, verily in the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, I say to you when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. In other words, you called the shots, Peter. You did, you did whatever you wanted. And yeah, you had responsibility. You got a wife and children. You were, you were fishing and feeding the family. 
You were your own man. But he says, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. If we stopped right there, we might say, well, based on what we know of historic, or traditional history anyway, Peter was crucified, so maybe that's it. We don't really need to speculate a lot about the fact that this was prophetic because John says, uh, now this he said signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. So get the big picture. Peter's been reinstated. The Lord Jesus is calling him back to take care of the sheep. The original calling. And he says, Peter, you're going to die for me. You really are going to die for me. Peter would be a martyr. Traditional history, by the way, says that um, Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. We, we can't prove that. Is it something the Bible records? It isn't something that we have a, a lot of historical record other than people wrote this down and it became a historic tradition that Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was. And so crucify me upside down. And when he had spoken this, what he says again, follow me. See, follow me when, when Peter was originally fishing and left his nets. Uh, I, I won't say it would have been a just like something for a young man and maybe in his late 20s or early 30s. It's like, wow, let's go. This is not like spring break. Let's just go have an adventure. I think Peter did count the cost. He understood that following Jesus would have a cost. And yet, as the time drew nearer to the cross, <coughs> he began to realize more and more just what serving the Lord Jesus might cost him. It might cost him everything. So follow me means something quite different now that he just told Peter, Peter, you're going to die for me. And he says one last time, follow me. That's not risky to you, by the way. It would be a great thing if, if from our midst God was gifting uh, and, and calling out and giving the desire to people who would, who would be in vocational ministry. That's, that's a great thing. But remember that this is a call to all of us. The call to follow Jesus is not just for people who are going to be missionaries or who are going to be serving in leadership in the local church. It does carry with it a perceived risk. To leave here today and in the quietness of your car or your room or your house or wherever you happen to be alone and to be able to say, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm connecting with Peter here because I've failed so many times and I've come back and I've failed and I've come back and I'm seeing here, you just want me to follow you and you want me to love what you love. I'm not sure how that looks, but I'll tell you now, Lord Jesus, I love you even though my love for you is growing. It's not what it should be. Tell me where you want me and I'll There shouldn't be a believer not willing to say that, yet there's a risk associated with that, at least a perceived risk. What might this cost me? It might cost me comfort. It might cost me friends. Maybe my life, although, you know, we're, we're pretty sheltered here, but maybe. I want you to remember something, and this was something a, a pastor, somebody told me years ago, and I remember this as a young man, when I was contemplating this whole question, what it means to follow Jesus. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. That was the devil's lie in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? God's keeping something from you? He is not. There, no amount of love you can give to that needy person who's trying to suck you dry will ever be able to rob you of, of joy at God's best. No amount of energy you have to expend for other people will ever run you dry because he is, he is a source of, of eternal joy and energy and comfort. So when Jesus says, follow me, do you really think it's going to cost you more than you have to give? He makes up for those. 
Bible doesn't hide from us that Peter hadn't quite arrived. So, this is where I get the picture of Jesus and Peter walking during part of this conversation because they're talking and, and he's getting the straight to the truth from the Lord. Peter, you used to do what you want. I, your love isn't what it should be. I'm calling you back. Even though your love isn't what it could be, I want you to take care of my lambs. And Peter, I want you to follow me. And Peter, in following me, it's going to cost you your life. You used to go wherever you wanted, and there's going to come a time where you're going to stretch out your arms, and it's not going to be pleasant. I think Peter understood because as they're walking, Peter turned around and said, what about him? Let's hear how John's going to die. <coughs> John keeping himself anonymous. He's kind of given it away by now, hasn't he? Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper. I mean, he identifies himself here. Just read the other Gospels. You know this has got to be John. And Peter says, Lord, uh, the, the, John had said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? So Peter saw him and said, what about John? He naturally wondered if he was being singled out for martyrdom. Um, am I going to be the only one of the 11 of us remaining? And the Lord had counsel for Peter that we would be good for all of us who think it's good to compare our life course or our ministries to the ministries of others. Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Peter, that's, that's really not your call. It's my call. And if, if, if I allow John to continue living till I return, that's, that's not yours. Plow your own furrows is what Jesus was saying. It was counsel I was given from, from one of my mentors many years ago when I was looking around at at people who I, I thought they weren't handling ministry very well. And he said, Steve, plow your own for us. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is where I get that perhaps there were others eavesdropping on the conversation because the saying went out among the brethren that that disciple, John, would not die. You know how rumors get started, right? When stories spread that way. And so John wrote these words. He, he didn't yet know if he would be a martyr or die a natural death because Jesus didn't say. Maybe John wanted to know. And John just says this is the disciple who's testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. In other words, John says, I was on that shore I was a part of this conversation. I saw what was going on. I'm telling you the truth. And he ends kind of abruptly, really. And we're going to hear from John again as we go through the scriptures because he wrote three epistles, right? And, and the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, was given to him by the Lord Jesus. So John wasn't done writing. But he says, there are so many other things I could have told you guys. Many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. And the point is this, and I, I, I have heard people make a lot of this. They've said, yeah, we just, I mean, all the libraries in the world wouldn't be enough. You know, uh, John is using something called hyperbole here. We take the Bible literally because it's literature, and so we, we tend to exaggerate speech to make a point. And this is what John is doing. John is, is just saying uh, the biblical record of the works of Jesus hasn't even come close to telling us of all his wondrous deeds. Not even close. The Bible is enough. But it's not exhaustive. It hasn't told us everything. And John just, just wants us to know, I haven't told you the half. There's so much more. If you come out of my gospel record, I, I called you in this letter to believe. 
Church, do you believe? Do you believe? Because that's, that's the call. John says, I've written these things. If you've been brought to believe, I want to tell you something. You're adoring this one who loves his people, who loves them and gave his life for them. And, and even in their sins, after they have failed again and again, he's reinstating them. If, if you come to adore this Lord even more now, to believe in him more intensely than you did before, I haven't told you the half of it. I haven't scratched the surface. The world itself could not contain the books that would be written. He says, it's, it's enough. Jesus and Peter, again, had that conversation at the Last Supper where Jesus warned Peter what would happen. I said that the beach encounter served to remind Peter that, that he didn't love Jesus as much as he could have loved him, but that he still wanted to use him. So we go back to this question. If you've ever failed in your Christian experience, can you relate to where Peter was as Jesus met them on the shore not with his hands on his hips, tapping his toes, but serving his people and empowering them and, and giving them a commission. There are two great commandments in this text. I should say the two great commandments are contained in this text. At issue was the question of Peter's love for Jesus. And at issue was the question of Peter's love for the sheep of Jesus. Remember that quote from Joe Stoll. The way you love Jesus is to love what he loves, and what he loves is his own. Can you not get that in the Gospel of John? Remember 3.16 and a lot of other places? You have a ministry, believer. Whether you are fulfilling it or not, you have a calling from God. You have a ministry that to engage the sheep. God has put you where he puts you, not for your comfort, but for his glory. So whether you're fulfilling the ministry or not, what you need to remember when you're discouraged or when you are where Peter was, just lacking some direction, I want to challenge you the way this text challenges all of us. And that is the Lord Jesus is a more satisfying object of your affection than the very best bliss of this world. No matter what, a conversation with a few teenagers recently about what I wanted to do. It's like, well, did you always want to be a pastor? No. I said I wanted to be a brain surgeon for a while, and then I wanted to be a chemical engineer so I could create bombs. And that could be a noble profession, by the way. So if you're a brain surgeon listening to this, or a, a bomb maker, um, that, do it for the glory of God. God saw fit to send me in a different direction. And it was only a higher calling because it was what the Lord Jesus gave me a desire for, gave others the ability to see in gifting. And by his graces, allowed me to serve in that way. You have a ministry as well. We're going to be starting a series of the one another's of scripture. People, you can't isolate yourself and live a life that's pleasing to God. You cannot be all about your own home and your own family and your own thing and live a life that pleases God. If, if you get what Peter's learning here, there is a call for us, whether, whether we think we're effective or not, whether we've failed or not in ministry, Remember that the Lord Jesus is a much more satisfying object of your love than the very best bliss of earth. And I'm, I'm borrowing that from one of my favorite hymns. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to thee again. No matter what you're chasing, it will be nothing next to pursuing a life that pleases Jesus. Second of all, <coughs> God will use you even though you haven't arrived. We, we tend to compare ourselves to others whose ministry seems to be really effective. It's like, wow, did you see that person? They can just stand up in front of a group and 
handle the Bible and they're so charismatic in their delivery, maybe your role is to plow your own furrows and say, I haven't arrived. In fact, there are times when I think bad words. I get angry. Sometimes in my anger and thinking bad words, those things spew out of my mouth. There are habits that I have that are, that are not honoring to God. What, should we just keep going to see if we can hit everybody in the room? What happened? Is God, has God written you off? He still uses people that you and I will never use. Because he's Peter's God. Remember this too, it's more important to do what Jesus says than it is to feel like doing what he says. That doesn't mean you live as a fake. But it does mean that that there are times when I say, I am, I am going to do what pleases God, not, not because I feel led to do it. You feel led to get up when your alarm goes off in the morning? Out of a love for Jesus, hopefully that will increase and your motivations will be changed so you're doing the right thing for the right reason. But Peter's love hadn't measured up to what it should have measured to. And Jesus still said, follow me. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. And finally, your effectiveness is not measured by the effectiveness of others. <laughs> you look around and you see what other people are doing or what they are not doing. I mean, let me just be straight up with you. Most of the grumbling I've heard in, in church through almost, almost 30 years has had to do with somebody not doing what they're supposed to. You are always going to be surrounded by underachievers, even in the church. And as much as we want it to not look like 10 or 20% of the people in a congregation are doing 80 to 90% of the work, that is a fact that we have to live with. Ours is not to be looking around and complaining about all the people who aren't serving. But to say, Lord, what does following you look like for me? At the level of love I am right now, can you still use me? Will you still restore me when I come to you and beg you for forgiveness? And I think we know the answer to that, having seen unfolded before us the character of Jesus on page after page of the Gospel of John. And so John, toward the end of this book, just said, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the life, not just the eternal life that happens when you die, but the life that you have now, that Peter had in him as, as Jesus restored him, that's 